This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I welcome on the rest of the team to discuss some of the recent craziness on the show. We discuss the secrets of Brooks's new class, the new wizard who's joined the party, and the realm of Abaddon, where these heroes find themselves. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. We're back. Yeah, we're back. 46 episodes of this show. Some would call this episode the Joe Biden. The Joe Biden episode. (laughs) Truths. You know, we found that out today. What a coincidence. Recording 48 on the day we found that out. I mean, 46, but yeah. 46. Absolutely. Um, So I'm looking two years ahead, two, (laughs) two presidencies ahead. Yeah. Joe Biden, three terms. He's 46, 47, and 48. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. Pretty sure it is. <laughs> All right. So, Griffin, we got a really long day ahead of us. We do. Really long. So, I just think we should get right into it. And I got to know what you're drinking today. Yeah, man. Thanks for getting these for me. We couldn't find them anywhere. Uh, I'm drinking a Founders Solid Gold. They're a real nice drinkable lager. And they're by founders, obviously, so they're kind of different than the other macros. They taste a little bit better, in my opinion. I don't disagree with that. I like those quite a bit. Um, as for myself, I picked myself up a, a, something a little special, something I hadn't tried before. This is from Warped Wing Brewing in Dayton. It's called a Funk City Red Ale. It's a little bit of a collab they're doing with the Funk Music Hall of Fame and Expo Center in Dayton. Um, I had one of these in the shower yesterday, and it fucking slaps. I did not know the Funk Music Expo Center was in Dayton. Neither did I, but now I might start listening to Funk Music, because this beer fucking rocks. We've got to make a trip. Mm -hmm. Speaking of a trip, we have a big trip to talk about on the show. A trip to another plane. Oh, boy. Do we ever. It's quite a wild time, and who better to talk about it than everybody that's stuck there. So, welcome to the show, Haley Emily Brooks. Hello. Hi. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm the reason for all of this. Uh, Well, I I said it on the Discord, and I'll repeat it to you guys. I'm glad we have the kind of group that will go after one of their party members in a inhospitable plane instead of just letting them die. Much appreciated. Yeah, I I liked the text that we got when this whole thing happened, right? When Eclipse got shunted to another plane, we wrapped up... uh, the the recording of that episode and we started talking about maybe going to abaddon and, and getting it done and getting eclipse and there was this text thread where griff's like if we're doing this we all need some serious buy-in and everyone's like yeah let's do it uh, so that's very exciting but you know what gets me exciting alcohol so what's everyone drinking today let's start with emily Today, I am having a caramel apple cider so it's apple cider with some caramel vodka oh Very festive. Very festive. How about you, Haley? Uh, I have not started day drinking yet. I'm drinking coffee and water. I said this was a long day. I think you're starting it the right way. Um, And yourself, Brooks? Well, Haley and I were on the same wavelength. I have meal water in front of me. I played 18 holes at uh, starting at 7 o'clock today. Oh, so it's going to be a very long day for you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
But I mean, that's why uh, hydrate early and often. And 18 holes, is that a euphemism for something? Nope. All right. Just golf, I guess, technically. That makes sense. Um, Not what I was thinking, but it adds up. Anyway, uh, let's listen to some Sirenscape. This one is from the Temple of the Jade Dragon sound set. It's a little something called Scholar's Music. All right. In some of these recent episodes, we've started with just a little finger on the pulse of what people have been doing, what what books have you been reading, movies you've seen, shows you're watching, just to give something to the listeners at home to check out that's not the HLP, but, you know, you can chat about on the Discord or whatever. Um, Brooks, what have you been up to lately? <laughs> well, to follow up on the uh, 18 holes I played today, uh, I've been playing a lot of golf. Unfortunately, that's not a full inside activity unless you have, I guess, a net indoors and or I guess we golf or anything like that. But uh, I've been watching a lot of golf. Not overly interesting per se, but uh, keeps me busy, and that's important. Yeah, that was something I I didn't know too much about you. How fanatical you are about golf. Yeah, uh, I love it. But you, you've been playing a ton lately, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, shot uh, 90 today, so I'm pretty happy about that. I don't know if that means that number means anything to anybody else, but doesn't it depend? Not on too the bad. Course? Uh, full uh, 18 holes regulation size course is uh, par 72. Okay. So. 18 over for 18 holes is not the worst. Yeah. Well, it can only go downhill from here. Um, Haley, what you been up to lately? So I have been um, going through and listening to all of the Harry Potter books. I've read them all a couple times. It's just I have now actually purchased the listen, the Audible version. Um, so that's been really fun as well as I'm really looking forward to a uh, book coming out from one of my favorite authors, Naomi Novik. She just came out with something called A Deadly Edu- Education, and that is supposed to be kind of a creepy school in Transylvania teaching necromancy and stuff, so I'm excited for that. Uh, so lots of book stuff, and then I have been not really doing a whole lot of TV watching. We've been super busy with podcast stuff. That's very fair. Uh, good good recommendations for our book lovers out there. How about you, Emily? As always, I'm doing a lot of crafting nowadays. So I've been making some new dice bags, which help me keep all of my uh, character dice organized so I can do like quick transitions. And uh, we've been playing a lot, so it's helpful uh, to have them well organized. Also working on some figurines for our characters which are fun to make and uh, hopefully at some point I'll be able to catch up with the rate of newly introduced characters but who knows (laughs) (laughs) probably not (laughs) at the the detail that you're able to do on that that's it's been impressive so far it really has thank you they're a lot of fun to make and uh, trying to think of the little little things that can be added to make them unique and the last one you made was was Eclipse, right? 
Yes, I just finished up eclipses uh, not that long ago, but I do still need to post the pictures on social media. So maybe keep an eye out for those. Oh, how about you, Griff? What you been up to lately? Been lifting a lot. Really, it shows. really enjoying that. Uh, it's trying to get back to the thousand club. Working out with Chris every morning. It's a good time. Put together my home gym. Finally got all the stuff I wanted. My bike came in this week. Oh, so nice. I'm, I know you're uh, getting one. Yeah, I got I got one of the Rogue Echo bikes. It's dope. And because of that, uh, inspiration from uh, One Punch Man, I finally watched the first season of. And uh, I did not know how ridiculous that fucking anime was. <laughs> that show fucking rocks. <laughs> it's it's so, so good. It's so good. So in the in the spirit of that, working out every morning, uh, maybe maybe I'll be a superhero too. So you're doing your hundred push-ups, hundred sit-ups, <laughs> more, more like squats and deadlifts. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. As for myself, there's only one thing important to talk about: The Mandalorian's back, baby. So every Friday uh, during my lunch hour at work, I watch that. And that's really everything that's going on in my life. So uh, let's just jump into... <laughs> Boy, what a sad existence. All right, uh, let's just jump into the actual meat of this episode. And like I said up at the top, the first thing that I want to discuss is Brooks's new class because what I've picked up talking to a lot of the, uh, the folks that listen along at home to the show is they might not be sure what exactly that is because we haven't actually revealed it on air. Brooks, would you like to do that now? Yeah, he is a samurai. It is a variant class, or I guess, uh, derivation of cavalier. Yes, samurai is not one that I hear often in other actual plays. So personally, I'm a little unfamiliar with the class. I, I played one once for a random society thing that Haley ran. That was a whole lot of fun. But I, I mean, it was like only a couple hours. Don't really remember much of it. For what, what does a samurai usually do on the battlefield? What niche do they fill in a party? Yeah, they are pretty much, well, yeah, pretty much solely melee class or melee fighters and Unlike the Cavalier, Samurais typically don't have a mount. And so they will have their no normal speed per their character. Yeah, they really remind me of something kind of between a Cavalier and a Paladin in that way. Like, they're more Paladin-y in the way that they enter battle and they don't rely on a mount, but they're more Cavalier-like because they have the the challenge and the the resolve and that kind of stuff that a cavalier would have. Yeah, that, that's a really good way to put it. It's kind of like, yeah, if the paladin didn't have quite so much many like religious abilities, but a couple more melee abilities. Yeah, I it's guess like I your order. Say. Your order is kind of like a paladin oath, right? It so is. It's, it is. It's pretty cool. They're they're a niche that I don't think a lot of people have played. So, so speaking about those those orders, what order did you take? I am the Order of the Lion. Ooh. Now it, played a little cat and mouse. Yeah, <laughs> and it we can't top that. <laughs> Episode's fucking oh, over. Boy. But so if people decide to go and look that up, 
they might I, I guess I won't go too into what that order specifies but it specifies that you are uh, very dedicated to a certain person and based on that things have to change for for his order to continue to be a well part part of that and so uh, there will be a, a change there to be yeah, made. Which he's run it by me, folks. So the the person that he dedicated himself to is not necessarily it's not necessarily working the same way as a normal lion order cavalier would. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Uh, we've talked about some of these other abilities that the class usually has, the challenge and resolve. Um, can you just walk the listeners through those, Brooks, just so they have an idea of what, what those are more like? I know you use them a little bit in combat. So a challenge is a you're picking out a foe in combat, and you are very focused on that one person or thing and your challenge only stops when one of the parties is dead or concedes so it's very much so you're focused on that defeating that person or thing and that gives you bonus to hit and damage right it does it does so in that way it's very close again we keep rolling back to the paladin oh yeah and the the cavaliers challenge i think works mechanically almost exactly the same but the paladin smite is a very similar ability absolutely how about how about resolve resolve is a uh, I, I think Taylor Swift might have said it best. Uh, shake it off function, where it, yeah. <laughs> where you can use a point to get rid of certain conditions. I bring you back up if you do hit uh, zero hit points, and uh, let you re-roll right. Yes, uh, that, that that is the one uh, where, yes, you can re-roll a fortitude or will save if you spend the point and you get points back based on your challenge. So if you are successful in your challenge, you gain a point back, which is slightly similar to uh, Gunslinger's grit point? Yeah, I was gonna say it is a, it is a weird amalgamation here because you have what, like, Air Bear has what, five resolve points or something similar? Maybe less, maybe more. I think it's around five. It's around five. Uh, and, and so similarly to a Gunslinger, I think it keys off of one of your stats or something like that and you spend them to do cool shit and when you do cool shit or in this case when you like kill your the person that you've challenged, you make them back, you earn them back. That's mm-hmm. really cool. So it's yeah. like a paladin with also a uh, like a a point pool spending ability type thing. Yeah, that's that's excellent there, Brooks. I know Griff likes to reward players that come in with like a wacky archetype or something that fundamentally changes the class. Did you pick an archetype for Air Bear? I did not. He does not have an archetype, but that is kind of why I like the orders so much, is that they can be changed. There's a lot of 
negatives associated with changing it, but it's certainly possible to do. And I and I think that that adds plenty of flavor along with it. So uh, that's what I went with in, I guess, deciding on not taking an archetype. Yeah, and usually I reward something that's interesting, and it's a it's a samurai. So oh, yeah, <laughs> the, the class itself is something that people don't normally play. So I awarded him still for picking samurai in general awesome well 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 i've got two very quick questions for you and then we're going to move on with the show here brooks um why this class what what about samurai stood out to you well specifically i knew that the party needed to fill a melee combat or a melee fighter type and Recently, before I decided to go with Samurai, I had played a Cavalier in the April Fool's game. I just had so much fun with that, and learning all of its abilities, or like that class's abilities, I said, I'm going to go into it one step a little bit further, and went with the Samurai there. Great, very cool. Um, last question for you. Did you have any specific character inspiration you haven't revealed yet for Air Bear? Like, uh, I don't know if you've, you've cast him as somebody. Uh, have you drawn inspiration from any books, movies? Um, just throwing it out there, just curious. Yeah, so being a rat folk isn't... Uh, well... I would say accurate depiction of who I based the character off of, uh, but I drew inspiration from Daniel Bruhl from Inglorious Bastards. Uh, he is the uh, well, he's the the German wartime hero that uh, goes after the 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 lady in the cinema wow <laughs> deep and glorious bastards cut <laughs> that is a deep and glorious bastards cut but i do love it <laughs> very fitting all right well thanks for sharing with us man really appreciate it i think uh the folks listening at home are going to enjoy that as well um kind of reveal a little bit about this new mysterious rat folk and speaking about new mysterious folks Haley, i want to talk to you all about tulia I don't think she's been in a combat as of the recording of this episode, so it might not be clear what her actual class is. You want to reveal that for us? Yeah, she is a wizard um, with double archetypes. So I Double ha- archetypes? Yeah, so I have two archetypes on this wizard. Is that even possible? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, that's absolutely possible. Yeah, as long possible. as they don't <laughs> replace the same thing, you can stack archetypes if you want. Yeah. Well, I know what I'm doing at Matumbe's next level up. <laughs> Let's roll. You have to have taken it at level one. Uh, bummer. Never mind. All right, tell me about it. What's going on? So, yeah, I wanted to play a wizard because I originally started looking at some backup characters when I was 95% sure that uh, Rude was going to kill me. So I started looking at that, and I was like, if I'm going to be killed by a wizard, I'm going to bring a wizard back. Um, so that's when it began. And then I didn't die but I still was really liking what I was putting in but it was missing a little something because I was kind of going back and forth between wizard and arcanist which is arcanist or a combination of sorcerer and wizard I really like the arcanist exploits well that's the thing is I can take this archetype called exploiter wizard and I actually get um 
arcanist exploits. So I have an arcane reservoir and I have a set of arcanist exploits that are available to me and it kind of gives me some of those things that I was looking for as a really cool add-on to the class without being a full-on arcanist. So I have never played an arcanist before. I do not know what an exploit is. What is an exploit? Yeah, okay, great question. Um, so an arcanist exploit, there are, like, basically there are special abilities. So I know you've played an alchemist before. For example, alchemists take those discoveries. Arcanist oh, yeah. exploits are, like, arcane versions of those discoveries. So, for example, I have dimensional slide, which is... I expend a point from that arcane, arcane reservoir, and then I can basically do something similar to Dimension Door. It are, is like arcane abilities innate to you based on those exploits. So you usually have to expend some amount of arcane reservoir points, which are based on your main stat, so intelligence, and you can then use these like innate abilities that you get added to your character. Yep, it's just like any of the other classes that have a point spending mechanic. Usually you have the, like your ma magus or magus, however we're saying it now. Um, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yep. Yeah, so I thought I love that aspect of it because I like that. the I really enjoy that idea of the person themselves being extra magical, I guess. And so that's kind of how I see those exploits going. The other archetype I have is a Pact Wizard, which you guys will see and hear a little bit more about that in later episodes, but I am a Pact Wizard, which means I've actually made a pact with... I know what you're talking about here, yes. Yeah, <laughs> so I've made a pact um, where I get extra powers and essentially from that, and I have... Um, it, there's a function where I get some patron spells similar to that of like a witch would get as well I get some effortless magic is kind of what it's called so basically I don't have to spend that hour to prepare because I have a pact and so it's a very quick way to prepare all my stuff so there's there's some things like that there's a couple other things um, in the future you're gonna see where I'm going to be invoking on that pact so those are kind of those interesting things regarding these two different classes and how they work together. So I'm technically an exploiter pack wizard elf. That's wild. It really does sound like you have your character is without multi-classing an amalgamation of like a, a sorcerer, arcanist, a wizard, and a and a witch. It was. I took every spell casting I could and merged them. <laughs> Dear God. And with that, Griffin gave me no extra bonuses because this is not underpowered. She picked the two most powerful wizard archetypes. I didn't know that at the time. I and, was just and mashed them together. <laughs> so was, yes, you did not get any extra stats for that. Correct. I but was, I gave you the backstory stats because you let me do something mean with your uh, with your pact. Yeah, awesome. Thank, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I got a final question for you. Do you have? It's the same one that I asked Brooks. Do you have any specific character inspiration? Anything that you're um, that kind of got your wheels turning about Tulia um, for this character? Whether that comes from a book, a show, a movie, what have you? 
so she's not based on anyone. I've already cast her. I talked about that in the episode as like 90s Nicole Kidman with blonde hair and mm-hmm. her curly hair. So I've talked about that already on the show. Um, as far as character inspiration, the character began being built out of spite, but I then didn't want to take it in that way. Uh, I wanted to bring a character that in the light of significant amount of darkness would have a little bit more jovial way of handling things. So I don't have an actual character inspiration as much as I was looking around at the party itself and trying to find something that could act differently than this brooding, ominous group that we have. (laughs) So... Not to say there's no ominous things within her, but it's just a little bit different of a act. Well, I, th- I think it fits in quite well. <laughs> quite well. Uh, well, thanks for sharing again. Um, at this point, I kind of want to shift gears again. We're going to do uh, something a little different, something that may s- seem a little similar, but isn't. Uh, it's kind of like we're doing a My Favorite Monster segment, but we're really just doing a My Favorite Plane because we're going to talk about Abaddon. I want to kick this off with a question. American Airlines. <laughs> Love it. Um, so with the Dimensional Shambler, you could have sent Eclipse to any plane, basically. Why did you pick Abaddon? What stands out to you about this plane that had you thinking, this would be a good place to send our heroes because it's going to be interesting? I didn't decide what plane uh, until after we had recorded the episode where Eclipse gets shifted. So I was kind of like, oh, fuck, I don't know where I'm going to go. Abaddon just works so perfectly in my headspace. I was thinking, how can I tie a bunch of different things together? Ergothoa, it's her deific realm. Uh, She is actually the most powerful deity in Abaddon. So Blood Rot was a natural choice. Obviously a huge tie-in to the Whispering Way and a huge tie-in to A. So I figured that would be a good place to start. And then when I started researching Abaddon a little bit, I realized that, hey, I, uh, I can definitely hit Freya with the corruption I want to hit her with while we're there because, oh, Abaddon is the realm of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so the plague there is going to be extreme. And then I found a city called Awaiting Consumption, and it just sounded perfect because it's a city that is, or the population is three and a half million, uh, and most of that population is mortals. So it seemed like a place where even in an inhospitable plane, you guys could survive. And then I was like, why don't I just do Planet Hulk? (laughs) And so (laughs) we have this tournament arc uh, that we're doing, and... Uh, that that is kind of the inspiration for the or the at least the inception of the idea I wanted to do a Planet Hulk, but then obviously as you'll hear in the coming episodes, this tournament takes a lot of turns that a normal gladiatorial tournament wouldn't take. But I think that just adds to the enjoyment of the of the whole thing. There's a lot of variety that I think we're able to achieve with this kind of side side action uh, as we get Eclipse back. So that that's why Abaddon. And and so you said enjoyment. Uh, Emily, uh, Haley, and Brooks, are you guys all enjoying yourselves? 
I'm having a blast in Abaddon. Freya is not. (laughs) (laughs) Technically, she's having the biggest blast. First gun on the show. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun. I can't wait to, uh, in the coming episodes, get to use it a little bit more. We'll see what happens when she can actually utilize her firearm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a dwarf with a gun, what can go wrong? What can go wrong? And you're all read up on your firearm rules. You're ready to rock, lock and load. Of course. Hell yeah. Haley, you having fun? Eclipse is probably bored. Tulia's having a blast. And I personally am having a blast. Brooks, you having fun? I am. I I love the the gladiatorial combat and things that we are having to go through. Uh, Plus, I mean, Lobsock foes. He's oof. like the best NPC we've had in a while. He is. He, he is. And I've said that many times. Uh, Air Bear, um... Being so new to the party, he uh, might be questioning some of his decisions right now, but uh, doesn't have doesn't have a lot of choice at this point. But yeah, I get it. Uh, and as for Matumbe, um, I don't know. He's he's kind of mad on the whole thing. <laughs> he's not having a great time. Not necessarily having a bad time either, though. He's getting along. He's making new friends. Is what's important. I don't think with two base said more than like three sentences to any of the other characters since we got there. No, no, he's been very quiet. He's talked to Vance and pretty much that's about it. He's yeah. got a new best friend. Now he understands. He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't need anybody else. I yeah, this change in Matumba is great. Thank you. Um, so so doing the the my favorite plane thing, I kind of wanted to just dump some exposition here to talk about like. What is Abaddon? I was not familiar with Abaddon um, outside of the Pathfinder sphere. Never had heard about it before. Um, Frankly, I thought it might have been something they just made up to fit a neutral evil plane. Imagine my surprise when that's not true. And like everything else, they pulled it from reality and the backstory is super cool. So Abaddon is actually, uh, it originates in the Hebrew Bible as a bottomless pit of destruction. Um, Usually it's referenced side by side with a place called Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, and that translates to hell. So basically you have doom and destruction and hell, which has death. Those things, two things are referenced together. Across the Hebrew Bible, um, you see Abaddon pop up about six times. Um, and strangely enough, though, after you finish up with that Hebrew Bible and get into the New Testament, Abaddon isn't referred to anymore as a place. It's referred to as a person. Abaddon becomes a character. That's really weird. It is strange. I have something to go with this uh, when we discuss the Pathfinder bit that I think you're really going to enjoy. Perfect. Abaddon shows up in Revelations as an entity that opens the earth, unleashing a swarm of locusts on the world to torture all those who do not bear the symbol of God. Abaddon is actually, and this was a huge surprise to me, he's a djinn. Not not like a demon. No, like a genie. Yeah, exactly. Not, not a demon, not an angel. He's a djinn in the Bible. I did not know there were jinn in the Bible. I think jinn in the Bible are are more like devil-like though than than they are than they have evolved into. They're like always the evil version of jinn. Well, they, we are going to get there, but yes, go ahead. I was going to say they they mimic more of the classic like 
devil that is all about contracts and like it's more uh, a classic devil in Pathfinder ways anyways where it's more contract based and like very stickler on the agreements I guess that's how I describe it so it's not a genie like I want to make a wish it's oh you're sticking to your word more exactly it's no Will Smith it's more a wish master more yeah, uh, Brooks, you, you sound like you were a big fan of the uh, 2019 Aladdin, right? You know, <laughs> what's kind of funny is I tried to watch it, um, and what was it, Emily? Like, partially way, the way through, because of course I just uh, tried to stream it online, uh, pirate it, and at, then at, it at went... A point, at a point. <laughs> well, then it went to Russian, <laughs> and so I couldn't finish it, and I didn't like <laughs> it switched halfway through to Russian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a big disappointment. Uh, Brooks is not well versed in any Disney movie, though, so I mean, he hardly knows what we're talking. Maybe about he here. thought it Aladdin the the animated version switched to Russian halfway through too. <laughs> <laughs> he for forever tainted his uh, opinion of it. For all I know, it could have because I am positive I haven't seen that. So, oh gosh, I'm sure we'll fix that at some point. Uh, uh-huh. but, but back to this. <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, <laughs> Disney Plus Hour with Brooks. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's the Patreon rewards right there. <laughs> all right, so I want to get back to the gin at hand here, Abaddon. Um, in scripture, he's kind of, it's indicated that at some point he may have ruled over Egypt and Sodom as a king. Um, and at the end of days is going to rule over Jerusalem uh, after, I guess, he unleashes his locust hordes upon the earth. Um, but it's weird. Like I, like I kind of indicated earlier, he may be good, he may be bad, because in different parts of scriptures and depending on who you talk to, um, different sects of... Um, of Judaism or Christianity uh, or, or, or even Islam, both heaven and hell claim him as an ally, other times as enemies. So um, he's going to destroy the world, but whether or not, or play a major part in destroying the world, but whether or not that's because God told him to or because he's a malevolent force coming up from hell is completely uh, not clear. So if you look at the Hebrew Bible, uh, He's bad. He's, he's a big old pit in the ground that swallows stuff up. Um, but there are a couple interesting texts, such as the Enthronement of Abaddon or the Apocalypse of Bartholomew, that indicate that he's actually on God's side. Um, and, uh, the Saint Timothy, who wrote the Enthronement of Abaddon, uh, says that he was given this task by God of collecting the earth that was actually going to be used for the creation of Adam at the beginning of time. So that's kind of interesting. And then in the Apocalypse of Bartholomew, apparently Abaddon was somebody who was actually present at the tomb of Jesus at the moment of his resurrection. So take what you will from that. But nobody can really agree what this what this person's motivations are. Or sometimes people don't even agree who he is. Um, different, again, different sects of these religions sometimes actually identify Abaddon as Satan, as the Antichrist, or according to Jehovah's Witnesses, Abaddon is actually a resurrected Jesus Christ. So nobody agrees who this guy is or if he's bad, but it seems like he's kind of bad. I I love how this segment 50-50 on whether it's going to be Steve's Sunday School or or my favorite monster or my favorite plane. 
It's like half the time Steve is quoting Bible verses in this piece. We should it's, really release the Zone of Truth on Sundays. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, no, but sometimes I just fall into these weird rabbit holes of discovery, and there's some really, really weird shit in the Bible. So there you go. And a lot of weird Pathfinder shit comes from the Bible, and people don't realize it. Like me, I didn't realize it came from the Bible. But that's all of the the actual from our realm of existence information that I have about Abaddon. Let's talk about Abaddon in Pathfinder. So it's one of the it's it's one of the realms that the dead can go to after they they leave Earth or rather Galarian after they die. Um, and it's described. I'm just going to read this straight from the Pathfinder fan wiki. Uh, Most of Abaddon is unnaturally quiet, like a land depopulated by war or plague and is converted I'm sorry, it's covered in a cold black mist. The air feels heavy and rotten, and what little light exists is provided by a strange sun-like object in permanent eclipse. So it's a pretty grim place. It's actually dominated by these four citadels in different parts of it, each one for one of the four different horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, I actually got really excited when I saw the one that is the horseman of pestilences because his citadel isn't like a castle. It's the corpse of a dead god that is just like propped up and hollowed out and he's living in, which is really weird. But there is a fun fact here. Pestilence's name, the horseman of Pestilence's name in the Pathfinder lore is Apollyon, which is Greek for Abaddon. So they basically just use the same fucking name. It's great. <laughs> um, and there's also a place in in Abaddon called or Abaddon called Sheol. Remember that name from earlier? That was hell in the Hebrew Bible. But that is actually a place in Abaddon, even though there actually also is hell as a, as a different plane. Isn't that like the same thing as like naming your daughter Terra? Because that means Earth. What? Like Apollyon being named after literally the place that he's he's on. Yeah, I guess so. It's uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I like that. It's it seems to me like they're just putting those Easter eggs in there for people that do their homework. So this is where I wanted to talk about the uh, when you said that Abaddon might have been a person. Okay. Uh, the it was rumored that there were actually five horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh, this is so cool. Go for it. And uh, the fifth horseman was all powerful and ruled over the other four so ruled over death and now death is like the the leader of the four horsemen but this horseman ruled over death and it's said that they rose up against him and this fifth horseman is either entrapped or dead and that the eternal eclipse the the eclipse sun over that's always over abaddon is like a, uh, I think it's his eye or something. It's like the eye of this fifth horseman, uh, which was also a reason why Abaddon was a cool pick, just because it's called the Eternal Eclipse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I said Eclipse there. <laughs> right on the head there. I was going to say also, uh, Eclipse, this is a plane she knows actually quite a bit about because she worships Lao Xiao Po, who is. 
the god who resides in the city that everyone's at awaiting awaiting uh, consumption. Awaiting consumption. Yep. That is. I did not know that. She that's is where the my queen god of the lives. sewer there. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of ties to Abaddon, and I thought, as I started to put the pieces together, I was like, that would be the perfect plane to go to. Yeah, Abaddon's a plane that I didn't really think about or do much research on before this, because it's just like, okay, I understand. I think hell is super, super cool. Lawful evil, objectively, is, I think, the most interesting alignment. Um, chaotic evil is like okay that's necessary you just need people that want to destroy stuff and be crazy and do ridiculous stuff and neutral evil I kind of had a I, I kind of had difficulty parsing that out from between the two just kind of blanket death with no real meaning but the more we dug into this kind of stuff the more I realized that there's some actual really cool lore and really cool ties to the rest of the world I, I'm really interested in it now yeah, I think that's why the horsemen fit so well in this area because they, you know, the things that they represent don't care about law or chaos. They're just like bad things that happen. Just like, I mean, neutral evil or neutral evil characters are supposed to be characterized as characters that are like fully hedonistic and like do not care for like they will do whatever to satisfy themselves and they are number one and I think that's reflected really well in this tournament like this tournament is purely for entertainment and they go to like these daemons are going to huge lengths just to just to entertain themselves and that's what they're doing for all eternity just wiling out having a great time all right, well, unless anybody has anything else they want to add about Abaddon, we do have a fair amount of listener questions to get through. I have one very gross, nasty thing that is an Abaddon. It is a lake of pure stillness and beauty. But as, as anybody walks up to it, they'll see millions of angels in a constant state of drowning and resurrection underneath of this lake and it's thought to be another relic of that fifth horseman Mm -hmm. uh it's the mirror of broken angels and it's just supposed to again be the one of the most beautiful lakes but as you get closer and look in just a constant stream of angels dying and drowning and resurrecting and dying and drowning it's horrifying if you think about the power of that fifth horseman it took all four to defeat him and they're all considered deities. They're not like as powerful as maybe some of the main Galarian pantheon, but still it took four deities to put him down. Um, one, one really cool thing that I don't think we touched on, but is relevant, especially to, um, to new notable NPC Lopsock is that the, the river of souls runs through Abaddon as, as it does the other, uh, the other outer spheres, uh, the planes in the outer spheres, but it's, it, it specifically does so in Abaddon, and Abaddon is the most important place it runs through because all of the ferrymen of the river Styx are daemons. They are the specific type of daemon that Lopsock is. He is one of the ferrymen of the river Styx. I forgot to add this. I have this in my notes, too. Um, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Griff, because... Um, the it's it says uh, the, you know people aren't really sure how daemons were formed, but the uh, but the prevailing theory is that 
long, 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 long ago in Galarian when Rovagug was unleashed and just wiping people out. He was killing people so fast that the River of Souls overflowed, literally overflowed like an actual river, and souls fell out into Abaddon. And it, I, I described this horrible geography, this terrible place, and they were all they all they all went crazy and shit. Some people think that the first soul that fell off actually became that first. That, that horseman um, that controlled the rest of them and whose eye is in the sky now. Um, so yeah, just kind of an interesting thing that there was so much death that the River Souls actually overflowed and that's how Damon started. Wow. I want to quickly touch back on what Haley brought up the lake. There's a Netflix movie with Shelley Theron, uh, Old Guard. Well, they do a really, really well, like really good depiction of exactly what Haley was talking about in an angel that can't die and is forced underwater and then is consistently resurrected, but is uh, trapped in a uh, trapped in a steel coffin. So she can't, constantly dying. Yeah, constantly dying, resurrecting. It great imagery for what uh, Haley was talking about. Nice. I've heard some good stuff about Old Guard. I should have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to check that one out. Well, thank you everybody for joining me on this journey of really deep diving lore. Um, I had a lot of fun doing the research, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, spending more time in Abaddon. I think this actually helped set me in a better spot to RP and have fun in Abaddon, a plan that I knew a little little about. So um, this was a good time. What do you What do you mean? Matube makes like. $50 plates checks. I guess that's true. Oh, I got a $50 of my dollars plates. Cool, Matube knows everything about it. Go look it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what I should do from now on. If I roll above a 40 or something, I'm just going to go to Pathfinder.wiki. <laughs> well, well, you've read 30 books on the subject, I guess. <laughs> At some point, I guess that happened. Um, but let's kick it to listener questions, because that's, that's what time it is. Our first listener question of the day comes from Kesh Cheevna. That might be right, Kesheevna. I think th that's as close as I'm going to get. Um, but this person says, apologies if you've done it before, but I don't remember. I'd be interested to hear everyone's favorite arcane spell. I think we've talked about some favorite spells on this show specifically before, but we have not talked about favorite arcane specific spell. Brooks, how about you kick us off here? All right. Well, I'm a fan of self buffs, really. Uh, so I, in that uh i guess realm of spell of arcane spells mirror uh, mirror image is is great uh but haste has to be my favorite yeah a lot of, like, uh, uh, and you can buff other people buff yourself it is really beneficial for everybody and if you're in a party obviously they're gonna want it Yep, that used to be why uh, un or chain summoners were so ridiculous is because they got haste as a, a second level spell instead of a third level spell. Oh, so they boy. could just <laughs> spam haste at level like three. Uh, Griff, we're going to have to talk about my backup character. <laughs> a chain summoner? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Pass. All right. Um, yeah, thanks, thanks for sharing, Brooks. That is a go-to. How about you, Emily? So I don't necessarily have a 
favorite arcane spell. There are a lot of good ones out there. One that I really enjoy for its flavor. I have this for my bard, but I don't get to use it as much as I wish I could. It's called Blistering Invictive. And essentially what this spell does is you unleash an insulting tirade so vicious and spiteful that enemies who hear it are physically scorched by your words. So you make an intimidate check to demoralize and then if they are if your enemies are demoralized they take fire damage and if they fail a reflex save they catch on fire so you literally burn somebody yes yeah. sick and burn i love pairing it with a bunch of really uh lame insults it's a lot of fun that's so good what what a great addition to this question um i don't think mine's going to be a great addition but i my favorite is dimension door it's a classic. It's so good. I've used it to great effect as our witch. Uh, specifically, I can think to a time when Emily's character, who is a bard, um, was performing too far away from the rest of the party, and I grabbed her and, and brought the bard to the party to bring the buff to them. Um, so I just really love using Dimension Door in combat for that kind of stuff to really change things up. Give me a little bit of battlefield mobility. Um, how about yourself, Griff? What do, what do you like from the Arcane list? I mean, Black Tentacles for me is a very tried and true. I've used it on you guys on the show a ton. I think as early as like Jasmine Phoenix used it in the uh, Christmas Evil interlude. So it's really great for shutting down a uh, battlefield. But I want to throw in a, a screwball here. Whenever I get to play a character, Haley talking about the Arcanist reminded me of my favorite archetype. For the Arcanist, which is a brown fur transmuter, which lets like you so take far. all of the uh, all of the self uh, polymorph spells that are on the Arcane list and apply them to someone else. Oh God! And so you can use all the beast shapes that you want on on your party monk, and they can tear somebody apart as an octopus, which is just ridiculously cool. So I, that's my that's my next character concept, and I love those spells when you have the ability to share them with the rest of the party. Cause I think they're kind of lame on, on an arcane caster. That's half BAB and frail. Yeah. That's definitely a trap to use them on yourself, but to, to share them is great. That's awesome. Haley, I saved you for last because you always bring some weird shit to questions like this. So what do you got for us? So my favorite spells in general are usually incredibly situational ones. Yeah, 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 I've always got Mage Armor, Magic Missile, all those stuff on there, but I love situational spells. Anybody want to talk to me about a great situation with Floating Disc, I'll, I'll talk about that later. But a favorite spell of mine that I've recently kind of read about, I haven't been able to, to really use because it's a high-level spell, but I've been waiting for the right time, is called Enemy Hammer. <laughs> And I am so excited to use this for the first time. Uh, it You basically grab a creature with telekinesis and you use it to batter nearby opponents and objects. And so each round, as standard action, you can attempt to hurl that target at any creature object within 30 feet. And it's an attack roll, and it lasts a round per level. So by the time you get this, you it's at least like, you know, 10, 11 rounds, right? And... It can happen on up to colossal size, like, things that you can throw around, God. which 
Yeah. <laughs> Just deal damage to both the creature that you're hitting and the creature that you're using to throw at the same time. It's so cool. And the imagery is so awesome that I don't care if it's not an optimized spell. I want to do it. <laughs> It is if you decide they're, uh, the foe you're hitting is, like, over the side of a ship or, like, 60 feet in the air. Yes. Not a bad idea. Yeah. No. But, yeah, my, my, all the other spells that I like are all really such situational. Like, that one's situational, too. So. Uh, yeah, before we move on, I just want to mention that we did play some Rune Lords last night. I played an Arcane Caster in there and used a spell called Legendary Proportions. To great effect. To great effect. <laughs> Uh, that's we're moving on the, the HLP crew has decided which proportions become legendary <laughs> and, and Tim Tim is the GM allowed it so we made that happen uh, next question comes from Thomas uh, slash Max has there ever been planar travel in your other games and what is your favorite plane lore in Pathfinder um, so I think anybody could jump in here and contradict me, but I think the only time we've ever traveled planes in one of our games that we've played together is probably recently in Rune Lords when we went to the Dimension of Dreams. Well, and the Shadow Plane. Oh, and the Shadow Plane. I guess we went there so too. Yeah. Twice back to back. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only plane plane hopping I've done. I haven't done any. Yeah, it's something that I don't feel like comes up a whole lot. The uh, the dimension of dreams was a lot of fun though, because you're in someone's dream and you can like hop to different dreams, which is interesting to kind of get a peek inside different uh, different thought processes. You like the dimension of dreams? Read the harrowing module. I I, I recently read the summary of that, and it sounds fucking cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, there's something there's something very cool about the Dimension of Dreams where you can just roll a straight charisma check, and if you succeed, you can do something impossible because it's a dream. So basically, you basically get like a free wish spell almost or something like that. It's really awesome. Um, but since we haven't really experienced, uh, you know, experimented with plane or travel in much of our games, let's hop to that second part of the question. What is your favorite plane lore in Pathfinder? We're gonna reverse the order here and go Haley. So that's kind of a difficult one for me uh, because I really like the lore of planes in general. I've spent a lot of times, like, even when looking at the Pathfinder Tales books, I was I was trying to look up exactly which ones deal with different planes. So that's where, in general, the idea of all these separate planes is so fascinating to me that I am... I haven't, I haven't really chosen a favorite as much as trying to reach out and get as much knowledge as possible. So I did read, as far as those Pathfinder Tales books, I ended up re reading Death's Heretic because, oh, and looking up, that one has the most planar travel. And it was amazing to hear all of that imagery and to, you know, really understand what's going on in the, in the planes. And I'm still trying to grasp at more knowledge of the planes, so I haven't really decided on a favorite yet because I'm still in this point of I want to soak up as much as possible. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at as far as favorite planes. I think there's a lot of really awesome lore, though, that they have. Yeah, and, and I, I just I just have to second this, that Death's Heretic hops between several different planes. 
Um, it's written by James Sutter, who's a, a classic Paizo writer. And then he went to write up a follow or he wrote a follow up called The Redemption Engine. And that has a lot of plane shifting to plane hopping. Um, and they really, really do a great job of helping people who are unfamiliar with the planes understand what it's like to exist on another plane. They're very cool. I would I would recommend them to anybody that likes Pathfinder. I'm surprised by Haley's answer because I thought she had a favorite. What favorite did you think I had? The first world. I don't consider that a full plane. That's a full plane. <laughs> I don't consider that. That is, to me, I have it in a totally separate category because it's above everything else. So if we're calling that a plane, all right, yeah, it 100%. legitimately is a plane. I don't call it a plane. It's <laughs> just in a better category. It's the first version of the material okay, plane. Okay, that's fine. I that don't have a favorite the because world. the first world is so cool. It's so much better. <laughs> All right, how about you then, Griff? What's up? Uh, the shadow plane is my favorite. It's, uh, I mean, I have like a two-year-long character that's backstory is completely written into it uh, alongside all of the stuff that I did with Nadal and Zonkathon that's all tied into the shadow plane. Um, my Gloomblade character from way back was tied into the Shadow Plane because of that Gloomblade. Uh, so it's just a a near and dear plane to the characters that I play. Very fair, very fair. Um, so as for myself, um, it's it's a little difficult for me because yeah, my favorite plane is the one I'm currently reading about at any given time because they're all very uniquely interesting. Um, what I will say though, one of one of my favorite pieces of lore from planes is just the concept of Phrasma. I mean, I, well, what a big surprise, Steve. Um, but there's some cool stuff that people might not really know about Phrasma. They just know her as like the Lady of Death or whatever. But she is said to be the lone survivor of the last iteration of the multiverse. So like reality literally ended and there was one individual left and it was Phrasma. Um, she actually spent time on the Aslanthi Pantheon as the goddess of death. And some say that um, her youngest daughter, the psychopomp Atropo, which for you uh, Matumbe freaks out there might recognize as the person that he sought intercession for through Desna. People say that Atropo is being set up by Phrasma to be that character for the next multiverse. So when reality ends, Phrasma is going to die with reality and Atropo will become the new Phrasma in the next iteration of reality. Do you want to know how scary powerful the uh, great old ones are? The only other thing that's said yep. to have survived besides Phrasma, is Yogg-Sothoth. That's right. That is right, yeah. So, literally, a great old one and a god are the only things that survive the destruction of the universe. It's absolutely crazy, and I think is super cool. Emily, how about you? So, my favorite piece of, I guess, kind of lore that I've come across is actually a minor artifact. It's called the Deck of Harrow Tales. Uh, and of, of course, uh, Harrow cards and Harrow decks are a big deal for our podcast, but this one is unique, that it's actually linked to the Harrowed Realm, which is a fantastical demiplane that's populated with the whimsical and nefarious manifestations of the characters on the actual cards. And so using this deck, you can actually enter 
the harrowed realm. And uh, once you get there, the deck doesn't function within the harrowed realm. So you have to figure out another way back. Uh, but it's kind of an interesting uh, set, uh, uh, the interesting demi plane with like unique uh, traits inside because you're like, in a deck of cards so like it's a self-contained shape that's flat and then it just like wraps back in on itself once you get like roughly 80 miles across uh so it it, it has some unique traits that i just think is really fun i'm so incredibly excited about that like holy shit i just yeah and i actually chaos. i misspoke earlier the the harrowing mm-hmm. takes you to the harrowed realm it's just very, it's similar in a lot of ways to the, the Plane of Dreams. If you want the Plane of Dreams, I think you have to do the house on Hook Street. Yes. So, like, I, I and I read the adventure summary for the harrowing, so I have a little bit of familiarity with what you're talking about, Emily. Uh, Haley, it's basically like if you were in real life, right? If you, like, fell into a deck of cards and had to, like, fight the king of spades or something like i mean obviously they're different characters on a harrow deck right because you've seen the harrow cards yeah it's probably like it reminds me of wonderland it's like wonderland it's almost exactly wonderland which is which is yeah it's crazy cool i mean because the harrow cards have have like characters that are very similar to uh characters you would find in alice in wonderland like Mm -hmm. uh you have like the um, the rabbit prince and that kind of stuff that all kind of line up. That's, it's pretty cool. That's where my head was going. I was like actually just thinking about going and looking at my like special edition Alice in Wonderland with like illustrations. That's that's it right there. That's <laughs> awesome. Emily, fantastic addition to this question. All right, our next question comes from 10 Long Gnomes. You know him as Eric. He's asked this question twice, so I I feel bad for him, so I guess we have to answer it. How do you decide where everyone sits at the table? It's a good question. I don't really remember why we decided where we sat. I know Griffin specifically wanted to sit on the end. Yeah, I, game I picked the end for the extra room I get. I don't know if anybody remembers. I, I think that maybe uh, we were worried about fraternization between Brooks and Emily. We put them on opposite ends. Yeah, diagonally across. Yep, away from as far sure. away as possible. <laughs> and then got Haley in the other seat far away from me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And we want to separate the boys and the girls. So uh, Brooks and I sit next to each other. Haley and I only sit next to each other. I think it works out great. I don't even remember because the table wasn't even facing this way. No, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. We were in the same relative <laughs> seats. It was just, yeah, I was like, I had my back to the door of the room. As the, as the show goes on, the table's just going to rotate. Slowly <laughs> rotate, yeah. Next, I'll be facing the fire. Or I'll be, have my back to the fireplace. And when, when we do one full ta- full rotation, that's when the show ends. That's when the show gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We, we, we rotated once uh, pretty, pretty far for how far we are in the... <laughs> Absolutely. All right. His other question is, when is it too early to set up Christmas decorations? I'm going to say... Uh, if you set anything up before the day after Thanksgiving, you're a psycho person. Yep. Only exception that is ever allowed, in my opinion, for that is if you are traveling right after or during Thanksgiving, you can put it up the day before you travel so you can come home to a Christmas house. Mm. That's the only Questionable. exception. I, I think that's a I think that's a that's a that's a warranted asterisk. I understand. That. I think you yeah. should put the tree up like a day before Christmas and then take it right back down. I think about it. I, I do also my, agree with that. My honest answer is a week. <laughs> yeah, you get a week. <laughs> you, 
that's so much work for only enjoying the tree it's for so one week. It's so much work in general. That's why that's Thank why you. it fucking stays up till March. Every every single year. This is not a joke. Every single year I get like a text and a photo from my mom the day after Halloween when the people across the street from my parents put up their tree and fully decorate their front room and you can like clearly see it from from my parents house and every year it's like what are these psychos doing November 1st tree up garland lights ornaments ready to roll how can they keep a tree alive that long it must They're be definitely fake. doing a synthetic tree. Ugh, well, which like my, case, my parents still do the fucking real tree and like they're they've been empty nesters for years. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, there's no fucking whimsy about like going to the tree tree farm and cutting down a tree anymore. But my dad goes and does it on his like sixty some year old hips. That does sound like a Jeff Norman thing. <laughs> <laughs> under the tree and cut it down. Say, who are you doing this for? Who do you, who do you have to like? I'm home for like a week during Christmas. What's the point of this? Get get fucking pine needle candles and get a get a regular ass synthetic tree. Yeah, do, do what sane people do. Get a synthetic tree, throw it in a bag, shove it in the ornaments basement. on bag. <laughs> ornaments on. Ornaments on. I mean, that's the only way to do it. Slide it into it, fully decorated. Why well, every year? It's like my mother has bought so many ornaments that like you could cover 18 trees with the ornaments we have. And so every year she's like decorating the tree and picking the shit out. And no longer is she decorating it with the kids because we, we're not home. So like, I don't know what her decision process is anymore. I don't know what the decision process is. It's a wonky ass fucking uh, real tree every year. Like, I gotta put up on blast for this. It's ridiculous. I've never seen you so upset. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, they're gonna they're gonna go to their graves with fucking uh, fucking real Christmas trees. <laughs> that ship has already sailed for me. Oh my god. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, we're going to move right along here. Uh, another holiday theme question. This one, I think we're going to end on. It's a two-parter. Alex, Thrushmore Seems Nice, asks, What is your favorite Halloween costume that you've ever worn? There's a follow-up to this, so save the follow-up. I know you all have read it. Um, how about you, Emily? What's your favorite Halloween costume? Okay, I actually have two. I have a whole list. I couldn't narrow it down. I like dressing up for Halloween a lot. Uh, so one of my favorites is actually an Alice in Wonderland costume that my mom made me. And uh, I wore it like multiple years because uh, I really enjoyed that costume. I do like Alice in Wonderland. And then my second one is uh, when I dressed up as Loki for Halloween and my best friend in college, she dressed up as Thor. And we didn't go out and buy costumes we made them ourselves so it was uh made out of like cardboard and spray paint and i had that really um crispy spray hair black stuff uh so my hair looked slicked back and black so i looked like loki but it was just so much fun to make our costumes and then wear them around that's phenomenal how about you brooks favorite halloween costume was in college Myself and five other people were Toon Squad. Uh, got the basketball shorts and legit jerseys from, I believe it was Taiwan. We ordered it, I don't know, maybe two months early so that we could actually like 
to make sure it got there. It got there, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks early, but like, that's a long time. I was uh, Pepe Le Pew, number 69. Awesome. Not exactly uh, looking back at it. Uh, maybe a little bit untasteful. Pepe Le Pew isn't the greatest <laughs> Looney Tune. I feel like it's a cartoon that's relatively that hasn't aged well. No. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't think so. So, uh, both my my favorite and and the worst. That's amazing. Um, as as for myself, um, obviously my favorite is. Uh, Every year when I get to dress up as, as Saw because I, I look I look like a fucking snack. Right, but that's not um, just Halloween. You do that. Well, I mean, I mean, go. Okay, come on, come on. I mean, uh, but yeah, if I have to answer, at least five times answer, a year. Yeah. <laughs> if I have if I have to seriously answer the question, a few years ago, um, my buddy Nick came to town to visit for Halloween, and him, Tim, and myself dressed up as a level one D and D party. So we went to Party City the day before and got like the shittiest stuff. So he was a level one fighter. Tim was a level one wizard and I was a level one rogue. And we like, so we had like really crappy party city like gear, but then we all got name tags and like slapped them on our chest that said like rogue level one wizard level one. And we just looked like trash. And I don't know. I mean, it sucked, but I had a lot of fun. It was goofy. Uh, How about you, Haley? So I think, uh, one of the ones that I've put in the most effort is I keep adding to the Nana Opal, which is fun. And so I've really enjoyed that as I've uh, continued to go through and continue to add. But I was Barney for like three years in a row as a kid. So it must have been your favorite. <laughs> I was also Belle for like another three years in a row. So those two are currently tied for most consistent Halloween costume. That's amazing. Uh, Griffin, what's your favorite? Uh, it's split. I liked going as Brock from Pokemon. That was a great mm. one. Uh, but I think the year that the three of us, you, me, and Haley, went as uh, as oh the Hello from the Magic Tavern. So uh, I forgot we did that. So if if those of you listening to this show haven't listened to the podcast Hello from the Magic Tavern, it's a great podcast. You should listen to it. But the the two of the main hosts are uh, Chunt the Talking pa- Badger, which Steve went as, because uh, obviously, mm-hmm. and I went as the Wizard Usador the Blue, and Haley went as uh, frequent guest on that show uh flower the talking flower i absolutely changed my answer that's it and i know we have pictures from that night that we have to share it's, that was it's so that good. night was so ridiculous because we were like interviewing people because it's an interview show so we were like interviewing people at the bar that was the night i took the tequila shot through the through, through the wizard beard through but the you're straw. also handing out nuts from your pocket i had i had and nuts rockets. and rocks I had nuts and rocks in my pocket i was kind of handing them out and then and then we handed them out to the people outside the bar when we left. And I was like, I really hope these are nuts and not rocks. <laughs> the bouncer be really ate pissed. them. Yeah, the yeah. bouncer ate the nuts. Uh, yeah, and I just remember how many times I would watch people ask what we were, and then we said it, and then Griffin would start rattling off Usador's name, which is like 30 different titles back-to-back that he memorized, and like the people being like, oh, that's funny, and they're like smiling and laughing, and, and then like, going. you just keep going, and I could just watch people, <laughs> like their faces falling like, 
Dude, stop. Okay, <laughs> cool. Are you Dumbledore? I am Usador, Wizard of the Twelve Realm of Ephesus, Master of Light and Shadow, Manipulator of Magical Delights, Devourer of Chaos, Champion it's of happening. the Great Halls of Tarakis. The Elves know me as Fiennelik. The Dwarves know me as Zonin and And there are several. Or no, some guess minus guess minus guess minus may star, but there are several other names, names of great power. Which you do not know yet. This this may surprise you guys, but at like these super douchey bars that we went to, people were not into that. They were not into <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, so I mean, just an amazing way to end that question. But there is a follow-up, which I think, Brooks, you already answered. What is the worst, most embarrassing costume you've worn? I think I'm gonna go last because mine maybe isn't particularly bad or embarrassing, but it is insanely whack. Uh Haley, go ahead. Oh, I'd say just about any of mine in college because I didn't feel it necessary to spend a lot of money on them and then go to some house party and get them absolutely fucking wrecked. Oh, yeah. And so I would borrow and beg from other people and I don't know how many times I just had like a horrible mishmash of Party City remnants from people who didn't want those and made it into a monstrosity of a costume i borrow okay i am i am four eleven on a good day um i'm four ten okay anyways i borrowed a like cop costume from a six foot two girl and i will never forget how incredibly horribly fitting it was but i was like i'm not i'm not about to purchase one <laughs> so that yeah is seriously like if you just borrowed my clothes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it was, hilarious. It was horrible. <laughs> but yeah, so that's where it, almost anything in college, there was, I think, one year where I purchased one Party City, like, costume thing pack, because I was like, I was low effort, low cost. That's all, that's what it was about. Oh, so. yeah. How about you, Emily? Uh, I think the worst costume I wore was a costume I tried to make myself, and it was just really confusing. I think think if I remember correctly I was trying to be like a forest spirit or fall like autumn something like that but it was just like kind of a loose flowing dress with like a bunch of fake leaves hot glued to it it was just not good it was really confusing <laughs> I tried but did not succeed yeah how about you Griff uh, I have two and they're in a very similar vein to what you guys are talking about <laughs> one year in college I went at, with a group of people as a domino which was a white shirt with uh, circles drawn on it uh, did you fall together? no we didn't, <laughs> we didn't fall together uh, I believe I was a two out of ten yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then uh, the other classic college one was uh, the Tom Cruise Risky Business one where you could just wear uh, wear boxer briefs to uh, to the uh, that was the bar. same party that I wore the six foot two girls cop costume what a couple <laughs> uh, like, literally how little clothes can I wear and legitimately go out to the club that's fucking hilarious uh, so mine comes from when I was a very very little kid I have pictures of this that I'm going to have to show you after this if I can find them on my phone um, I was a huge Thomas the Tank Engine fan also, my mom was very into homemade costumes, and she was quite good at making them. Um, so I had some years where I was like R2-D2. Um, as uh, 
my first, I think, Thomas the Tank Engine character I was was Peter Sam. Deep cut for you people out there, you tank, you tank engine freaks. Um, but then one year, this is—I think my mom did a great job with this costume, but it was just a psychotic premise. I wanted to be a turntable. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Like the object. The object. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are familiar with a railroad, but a turntable is basically a, a little like bridge looking thing that just spins in a circle to turn trains around because they can't turn themselves around. This is how did you get how did you get into tabletop role playing game? And why, I was a turntable, baby. Why is it your why is it your apartment filled with model trains? So this costume was psychotic. Um, I was wearing this like big green felt like giant coverall thing. I had two like signal crossing prop things that looked like the things that people use to guide in airplanes, but they were like signal crossings for where the cars go across the railroad tracks. Um, and then I had this giant like pie plate on my stomach that had like the turntable in the middle and it could actually spin around. I'm sending this part of the episode to my dad. <laughs> oh, oh my yeah. goodness. Like, I can just see like a six year old Steve knocking on the door of some house. <laughs> Twinkle Tweet, what are you? A turntable. table. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. I am so disappointed you grew out of that face. <laughs> Costume, my my mom keeps everything. It might still exist. Jesus. And if God. it is, I know what I'm doing next year for Halloween. <laughs> my. She went from dressing like trains to dressing like animals. Yeah. Uh, what a story. So, yeah, that was mine. Uh, again, I I know my mom listens to these. So uh, it was a great costume, but it came from a psychotic place. <laughs> and why she said yes and enabled that behavior <laughs> blows me away. Um. But all right, so guys, I had a lot of fun today. We still have a lot to do. So I think it's about time to wrap up this episode. Brooks, Emily, Haley, you all survived your will save. Great job. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you. It was good to talk about my new character. Absolutely. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for adding stuff. And Griffin, is there anything you want to tell the listeners at home? Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Thank you.